0: Hello and welcome to the Iris Murdoch podcast. Today's episode celebrates the recent publication of The Murdochian Mind, the largest single collection to date of individual essays focusing on key themes and concepts, critical encounters between Murdoch and other philosophers, her views on art, religion, politics, and Murdoch's engagement with contemporary moral issues. Uh, And in this wonderful book um, that's just come out with Routledge, there are 37 chapters from across disciplines and, of course, from numerous wonderful scholars working in countries across the world. And to talk about the Herculean effort of bringing the collection together, I'm delighted to be joined by both editors of the volume by Mark Hopwood. Hello, Mark. Hi, Miles. Thanks for coming back on. Um, Obviously, you've been on before uh, talking about sovereignty of good. It's great to have you back.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm a big fan of the
0: podcast. Oh, well, thank you very much. And um, I'm also delighted to have on for the first time, and I'm sure not the last, Silvia caprioglio Panizza. Hello, Sylvia. Hi, Miles. Hi. Uh, thanks very much for being here today. And so it's great that you can both be on. Mark's an associate professor of philosophy at the University of the South uh, Suwannee in USA, and he's published articles on a range of topics in moral philosophy including love, narcissism, hypocrisy, and the nature of moral judgment. And he's currently writing a book on Iris Murdoch's ethics. Sylvia is uh, Mary Skwodska Curie fellow at the Centre for Ethics uh, at the University of Pardubice and a fellow of the um, Peritia project, that's uh, policy expertise and trust in action at the Centre for Ethics in Public Life at University College Dublin. She edited and translated uh, Simone Veil's Venice Saved with Philip Wilson, which I thoroughly recommend, and is also the author of The Ethics of Attention Engaging the Real with Iris Murdoch and Simone Veil, which has just also um, come out with Routledge. Indeed, both this volume and um, Sylvia's monograph came out in the very same week. So she's been incredibly busy over the last couple of years bringing these to fruition. So, where to begin? Um, Mark, I'll start with you if that's okay. Can we talk about the development of the collection first? How did the idea first come to you that you were going to, to you both, that you were gonna put this together with Routledge and um, develop it in the way that you have?
1: Yeah, thanks Miles. Um, So the idea actually came from Routledge themselves. Um, I'm I'm not sure that I would have come up with the idea myself of doing a 37 chapter edited volume. on uh on Murdoch it's but, a big uh, ask right it's a it's a big ask uh but Routledge have uh this series it's called the Routledge Philosophical Minds series so they have um volumes on the Nietzschean mind the Kierkegaardian mind the Craftian mind there's um one that's recently come out on uh Elizabeth Anscombe the Anscombeian mind um And they decided that they wanted a volume on Murdoch. Um, And so they they approached us. um, And and it was something that when when we were approached about it, um, I didn't want to say no. I I couldn't say no to that opportunity, um, uh, even though it wasn't necessarily something I would have volunteered for um, uh, myself. and I think it really says something about where Murdoch is now in the the philosophical conversation. You know, we we are no longer at the point where she is this peripheral thinker who we have to constantly struggle to get recognised as a philosopher at all. She's someone who, when Routledge were thinking about the names that they wanted to make sure they included in that series, series, Iris Murdoch was a was a name that came up, and we we didn't even have to propose it to
0: them. Wow, so that's really that's really uh, heartening. Thinking about where the the field has come in the last ten years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when um, you know Justin Brookes uh, put out his wonderful edited collection um, on Murdoch a few years ago, the title was "Iris Murdoch, Philosopher." Like the title itself had to make the argument for her being considered mm, a philosopher. Yeah. And I think that's partly due to the success of that book. Right, that's not where we are anymore like we don't we don't have to make that argument and so um i think one thing you know the existence of this volume uh, shows is that we're we're in this new phase where now we're really exploring murdoch as a as a philosopher and there's um there's a lot there to to explore
0: well there's an incredible amount there um and i'd i'd like to bring you in and can you talk to us a little bit about how you made the distinction and the decisions about the chapters that you're going to include, the ideas, the thinkers. Obviously there are comparative essays, but there are also essays that are really working at the, at the edge of Murdoch's studies in an interdisciplinary way, bringing in all sorts of different uh, themes and ideas. And it's not just philosophy either, is it? It's a, it's a real work that, that covers so many disciplines.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it was very difficult to choose what to include, but especially what not to include, because as Mark says, it could have been twice the size and still would not have covered everything that we wanted to say about Murdoch. So there were some sections that were more obvious to us, uh, such as the reading Murdoch section, which we thought we needed to have anyway. We wanted the development of Murdoch's thought and to show that her ideas do change over time, that they're not just this monolithic Block of ideas, but even though she didn't devote her entire life to writing philosophy, she did change her thought gradually. So the Reading Murdoch section does that job. And it's a series of closed readings of particular works by Murdoch. And we also wanted to devote enough time to works like Acastus and The Fire in the Sun, even though they're shorter of some of her other works, because they do deserve recognition in their own right. Mm. So that was a fairly obvious section to have such as the ones on core themes and concepts even though that was very hard to delimit which concepts should we include and which ones should we not include and the critical encounters as well Uh, at first we thought we would definitely want to have Plato and Kant and Hegel but she engages with many other philosophers so who are we going to exclude and include uh and then we decided to turn that into critical encounters because it was obvious to us that some of the philosophers she draws on more enthusiastically uh with others she has a more critical relationship and so we wanted to show that she's not just drawing on other thinkers but she's really establishing her own view in a positive and negative dialectic with some of the others Mm. and then finally as you mentioned there are some sections that are less obvious such as the one in contemporary moral issues, but even the one on art, religion, and politics. Um, because, for example, we first thought about having a chapter on Murdoch and religion, but that was too broad. Uh, that's too much that's included because she does engage with Christianity and Buddhism and Jewish thoughts in different ways. And so it made more sense than as we thought about it to divide it into different chapters. And we were very grateful to the authors who suggested ways of developing these ideas in different chapters.
0: Yeah. So how long did it actually take to get the the, the finalised list of 37? Was there a lot of wrangling between yourselves or was it quite a, a I don't want to say a straightforward process, but did it actually, it, did it flow quite naturally? Mark?
1: Yeah, I, um, I wouldn't say wrangling. I think one, one thing... Um, <laughs> that's been really wonderful about this experience is um I hope she won't mind me saying working with with Sylvia has just it's been um yeah one of one of the best experiences I can imagine of working with a co-editor and I I think generally we have worked fairly well together and managed not to be wrangling too much uh mostly we're we're collaborating and thinking together but we had we had a big spreadsheet and I, I was looking back at it and I think at one point there were at least a hundred names on there. Wow! <laughs> uh, people we might ask, and you know, probably almost as many possible topics. And so there, there was a huge amount of narrowing down.
0: Um, mm. And activity. was that done between um, yourselves, or with Routledge involved, or how did that work?
1: That was mostly between ourselves, and then we, you know, we brought the proposal to Routledge. Um, they you know they had it go out for a review we got some really helpful comments from reviewers i think that um that changed a few things or you know helped us to, to consider other things we should be including but um but yeah mostly it was just the the two of us talking over zoom um and and trying to figure out where like, how are we gonna um do justice to her in the in the best way um we could it's a very it's a very murdochian theme trying to give form to something that fun, on some fundamental level resists um being given form uh, but that's what we were trying to do
0: yeah of course and um as you say bo- both in both working and living and working in different countries clearly the pandemic didn't help the uh, the, the process in, in in some ways um but sylvia i'd like to get, get your thoughts on this as well um with the way in which the the, the uh the works are kind of thematically structured. Did you feel that the process of actually placing the um, those particular things, those particular ideas, into those um, in, into those sections came quite naturally, or were there um, sections that you thought actually this particular chapter could work well in a in a different way?
2: It, it did work quite naturally in the end. Uh, there was some fair amount of conversation between Mark and me, as as Mark mentioned, but. Uh, Also, uh, to to respond to Mark's comment, it was a very, very good collaboration. Um, It was very smooth and very productive, and and that's rare. Um, So uh, I think it developed in in a way that it probably wouldn't have with a different kind of collaboration. Um, Mm -hmm. We did have some questions about some of the chapters who could be placed in more than one section. For example, the chapter on politics and feminism could have been in contemporary moral issues. Uh, but we felt that Murdoch has more to say about politics and it's worth to flag it's worth flagging politics as a theme in itself, so we decided to keep it there. Uh, we also had a couple of personal chapters that uh, we had to think a little bit about how to place, for example Rowan Williams writing morally, uh, which is in a sense a chapter uh, which stands on its own, um, and the same with how it was chapter. Uh, but because of the themes, for example, Williams talks a lot about Murdoch's fiction. It makes sense to have it in that section, but it wasn't necessarily an obvious choice. But it was one that did develop quite organically in the conversations.
0: Yeah, sure. Because looking at the uh, the table of contents now, and for those of you who are listening to the podcast, there's a link to um, to the webpage for the uh, uh, for the book um, that you can have a look through yourselves while while we're while we're chatting about it. Um, it does seem that there are three or four maybe perhaps three chapters in here that um, aren't what we might term traditional um, academic um, essays. Um, how us you've talked about the Williams, but also um, also Francis White's work on how Iris Murdoch can change your life. Those kinds of um, more kind of uh, biographical or quasi-biographical and academic. And, and working on those must have been um, maybe, you know, a, a, slight, a, a different way of working with that material that came in rather than the uh, more um, what we might quote-unquote academic essays that you were uh, uh, reading and commenting and editing.
1: Yeah I think that's right and I mean there was a point at which we thought there might be a section that would just be composed entirely of those more um, personal um, pieces and and then it, it ended up making more sense to incorporate them in the other sections but it was something very deliberate on our part to include those chapters. We felt that one of the things that's distinctive about murdoch is that she recognizes that philosophers are human beings and philosophy is a fundamentally um personal um kind of pursuit. you can't um set yourself to one side when you're doing philosophy you know she um famously says it's always very revealing to ask of any philosopher what are they afraid of Mm. um and so i think we we wanted to try to reflect something of that in the volume. Um, so, you know, while most of the chapters, you know, they're they're written in a sort of standard critical academic way, um, we wanted to have some chapters that were that were different from that, that brought out the, the personal aspect of Murdoch's work, because that felt important.
0: Sure. Yeah, and that really cut from the material that I've read so far, and I've only had the e-copy a week or so, so I haven't looked at it at all. That really does come through. Obviously, there are 37, you know, important major works um that you've you've offered to. The Murdoch community, and in fact to, to wider, much wider scholarship as well, I'm sure it'd be picked up very widely, and it's difficult in a podcast of this nature to talk about all of them, so we can't, but what I thought we might do is um, talk a little bit about um, the chapters that you yourselves worked on. So over and above editing the entire volume, obviously, Sylvia, you've um, written a chapter on, on attention, which obviously will have some a lot of resonances with the monograph that's just come out. And Mark, you took on the the um, enviable, maybe unenviable task of how to read metaphysics as a guide to morals in, um, in a, obviously a very short um, a short chapter. Sylvia, can I talk to you a little bit about your, uh, your work on attention? Um, I'm sure we'll come back to this on, a, on another podcast when we think about um, your monograph. But tell us a little bit about your chapter how, and how how you, uh, you, how you put it together, how you framed that notion. Because, of course, it's arguably the key, one of the keys to actually reading Murdoch's philosophy and indeed perhaps reading the fiction as well.
2: Yes, and I was really keen on writing that chapter. Partly I have to confess for selfish reasons, which is not very Murdochian <laughs> of me, but uh it helped me a lot to frame what I wanted to do with the book as well, because having to write about attention in one chapter is a very difficult task, given how large and important a concept it is, not just in Murdoch, but also in philosophy more generally and in psychology. Um, So that really forced me to think about what was essential about attention uh, in Murdoch and what it is that we really wanted to know. Why are we drawn to that concept? It has become one of the most popular concepts from Murdoch's philosophy that scholars talk about, but that's by far not, not the main one, or not the only one that she talks about. So why have people become interested in attention? And um, so what I tried to do in the chapter was first of all, just to give an overview of what Murdoch herself says about attention and what she doesn't say, she actually doesn't say all that much uh, about attention and she doesn't specify it, she doesn't narrow it down and she doesn't make it into a technical concept. Uh, And so it's difficult to know what to do with it because there is no standard definition of what attention is even outside of Murdoch's thought. So I wanted to show the relevance of attention within Murdoch's philosophy. It's important for her moral realism on the one hand and for moral perception and moral psychology on the other hand. And then in the second part of the chapter, I try to think a little bit about why we want to learn about attention from Murdoch, how it can help us to be more attentive. What does it mean Mm. for us to be more attentive? Uh, Because that's something I think a lot of Murdoch readers want to do say, oh, I want to be more attentive. And then you start thinking, okay, but how? what do I actually do now? Mm. Um, and so there is a whole conversation about uh, the dialectic between attention and unselfing. What does it mean to oneself while you're paying attention? Uh, whether it's enough to make an effort to pay attention or whether it has to be a more negative um, kind of effort, as Simon Bale very explicitly says. Uh, and I try not to say much about Veil vale as an influence on Murdoch, even though it's huge, because that would open a completely different chapter. Uh, but I also had this very practical uh, question in mind, which I also tried to expand in the book.
0: And how do you, obviously you're, you're writing this at the same time as you're writing the, the, the monograph, and was it, would you, I don't want to put, you know, suggest this if, if it's not true, but would you think that this, this chapter in a sense distills a lot of what you're going to you expand on and develop and and, and work in a, in a much more multifaceted way within within the book within your monograph
2: uh, some of the themes are definitely there uh, the concern with how to attend with unselfing with self-knowledge uh, they're all there uh, I, I give a lot of time to the question of the self in attention in the monograph and that's mm-hmm. also there in the chapter uh, obviously the chapter is more clearly focused on murdoch whereas in sure. the monograph i bring in veil vale as the conversation partner Uh, And there I also tried to develop two, uh, I call them two axes in which we think about attention, Uh, the one, the vertical one, which is about the presence and absence of attention and the value of attention as such. And then the horizontal one, which is about the objects of attention and whether there are good and bad objects of attention. And that's something that's not there in the chapter, but uh, it's uh, something that I think can help to think about the importance of attention in
0: Murdoch sure so for the for those people who have bought the book and have loved the chapter they now need to go and um and buy the book <laughs> which is obviously um talk, talk we'll talk more about that in a uh, a later date and of course we and uh, you've also got in the in the edited collection a chapter um particularly on and Vale. so we have those kind of chapters speaking to each other and one thing that strikes yeah. me looking at as i say i haven't read all of it yet but how many uh connections um the the various authors of the of, of the chapter's make between you know not just thematics and ideas but also um a, a connections to biography and to, to Murdoch's working work and progress and development through her life. and that's something that mark I think we can pick up on um, thinking about your chapter. How did you manage to, to in 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 just a few thousand words to actually give a, a give a reader's guide to to uh, to mGM?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, one thing I would say, first of all, is I, I was not my first choice to write that chapter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the reason the reason it's me i i feel perfectly comfortable saying it about myself the reason it's me is because you know we couldn't find anyone else okay. surprisingly <laughs> enough we wanted to take on this chapter entitled how to read metaphysics it's, a, to a, it's to an enormous
0: moral. challenge it is an enormous challenge yeah. it is and
1: we uh, and we knew we had to have it because we had committed to having this section where we had a how to read on all of her texts and so there had to be one on metaphysics a guide to morals but um I ended up picking that one up, and I was um, I was really glad that I did. I mean, it was a really, um, you know, it's a book that I've thought a lot about, and so it was um, it was fun to think about how to approach it in that kind of space. I, one thing that's interesting about that section of the book is I think virtually all of those chapters in the reading Murdoch section, the authors at some point or another in the text protest about being asked to explain how to read such <laughs> and such in that in that space of time but I um, and and you can see why she's a um, she's a complex thinker these are complex texts but on the other hand I think one thing we're all aware of with Murdoch or those of us who you know love Murdoch's philosophy it it's not that easy just to pick up um and start reading yeah for people who are not familiar with her work or the other thinkers that she's drawing on um it can be quite challenging and so I think if we're really serious about expanding Murdoch studies getting more people interested in Murdoch and engaging with Murdoch I think this is a challenge we've got to take on we've we've got to be able to um to give people some help in knowing how to approach these texts so um so I thought it was an important thing to be doing and then with you know, with a text like Metaphysics is a Guide to Morals, you can't, in 8,000 words, cover every aspect of it. And so what I tried to do was to focus on um, on, on a broader level, what is Murdoch trying to do with this book and what what kind of argument is she making? Because I think that there is an argument there. I think that one of the... Um, perceptions of Murdoch that you still encounter is that she's somehow a, um, yeah, a messy or careless thinker, that her her philosophy needs to be reconstructed in other terms in order to be um, fully clear and rigorous, and I, I think that's just a misperception. I think she knows, um, she knows very well what she's trying to do. She tells us on multiple occasions what she's trying to do, and so um, and so with a lot of her texts it's just a question of looking for you know what I sometimes call it the framing remarks so she she will at various points frame what she's doing she'll explain this is the problem I'm engaging with and this is how I'm trying to engage with it and so so for me that chapter was it was a question of Trying to look for you know, the the clues, the indications that she leaves us in the text as to what she's trying to do, what kind of argument she's trying to make, um, and so so that's what I tried to do. But um, it's th- clearly that there's no substitute for reading that text. But what it, what I was hoping to do was to at least give people a way into it, make it seem less less overwhelming.
0: Yes, because it certainly can do. Um, and obviously, we've we've had that wonderful collection that came out in 2019 about how to read. Uh, MGM that came out of Palgrave. but I think you know for for those people who haven't got involved with that or haven't trying to dip, dipped their toe in uh, MGM yet, I think your chapter is going to be so crucial for them to think about to think about it and how they might actually um, access it, um, especially for those people coming with a philosophical background who haven't who haven't tried it yet, because even looking at you know the first chapter with the kind of the the, the wealth of names and ideas that she's conjuring with. And then you have a look at the index and you see, you know, it can be off putting. But as you say, in your in, in your um, in your chapter in this book, it doesn't have to be, you know, if you've uh, if you and um, you as you, uh, you as the guide, I think you've done a, a fantastic job in, in in leading people through and pointing out where they might want to, uh, you know, where they might go from there. So that's great. One thing I wanted to talk to you both about and Sylvia, perhaps uh, come back to you. Obviously, this has been um, ongoing uh, since 2019. To spend a few years working on on this book over the, that period of time and obviously reading all the various chapters and drafts that have come in and you've been reflecting on them and editing them and um obviously personally thank you for for, for being so um so clear and precise and and detailed in the, in the critical feedback on my work but um i was delighted to, that you included what have you personally learned from this process and thinking about the murdochian mind thinking about murdoch's mind? And the development of it over time do you have you got a obviously you've got a clearer vision of it now but have have, have you been surprised or um you know um, surprised by the route that she takes or have you surprised yourself in in what um the authors of the of the chapters have come back with um yeah
2: it It doesn't feel like it's been three years it feels like it's been two weeks uh because (laughs) there was no idle time really i I suppose with such a large volume sure Uh, we, we needed all that time um so what uh what i really enjoyed about the process was that it was a very collaborative effort with the authors we did suggest themes and chapters and then they came back with their own take on themes or maybe with a slightly different theme or maybe with a completely different one And we we try to really listen, and I think that the book is much better for it, because uh, we had topics and perspectives that we would never had if we'd only stuck to what we wanted to include. Uh, What's surprising? uh, Well, I think the first part, reading Murdoch, uh, is actually more original than one would expect Mm -hmm. if one only thought about chapters that are uh, expository. and They're not just that. They are scholars who are explaining their own particular perspective on aspects of Murdoch and they're not just explaining what Murdoch is doing because that's been done Um, so for example we had uh, the chapter the first chapter uh, about Murdoch's encounters with Marcel and Anscombe uh, which paints a different picture of Murdoch's development and her thinking about which not everybody knows uh, because it hasn't uh, there are traces which then issue in Murdoch's early works, but uh, it's fantastic that the authors were able to bring it out. Uh, and then, of course, there is uh, Mark's chapter, which we just talked about, who does a fantastic job of a very, very complex book. Uh, but also all of the others in that section offer something new and personal and specific to, to those works. So in a sense, they were all surprising. Uh, and ending, of course, with uh, two very personal chapters, the one uh, by Francis White and Sally Howard, who we couldn't have predicted because they are very personal takes on uh, Murdoch's influence. Mark, what uh, what do you think the surprising thing was?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would just to, to add to, to what you said that, I mean, something that we, there's a lot of things that I think we knew in theory, but then really... Um, uh the the experience confirmed for us about Murdoch and one of them is the extraordinary breadth of her thinking I mean it's it's incredible the range of different thinkers she's engaging with the range of different issues and what you find if you um edit a volume like this and you throw all of these different topics to people so have someone write about camp someone write about bail someone write about um yeah, Murdoch and psychiatric ethics. I mean, what you find is there's not just breadth, there's depth. I mean, all of those people were finding a huge amount of depth, and we we were learning things. From, I mean, really, literally every single chapter, which just it leaves you kind of in awe about Murdoch herself. <laughs> it, I mean, the you know the title of the volume is the Murdochian mind. Like all of this somehow is there in in her mind, and so it really, you know, we we only we went into this because we love murdoch's philosophy we um we think very highly of it but um i have come out of it with if anything just a renewed respect for how how one person can can contain all of this um in their mind i mean mean, and having having said that i think something that um that sylvia um suggested um to me or sylvia wrote somewhere which i think is right is that there's also this lovely kind of unfinished character to Murdoch's work and unfinished not in the sense that it's lacking something but in the sense that there's a real openness to um, to the reader to um, to take to take it up for themselves. Um, and that's something I think you um, you get out of these chapters as well there's so much scope in Murdoch for taking what she's doing and understanding it on its own terms and then running with it and and making something new out of it. I think that's what we saw in a lot of the chapters as well.
0: Absolutely. And especially um, the final part, contemporary moral issues. Now, I'm sure that although there are five wonderful chapters here, there could have been far more that that, that could have been said. And of course, that's for for later scholarship to discuss. But um, I'm, I'm fascinated. You've already mentioned psychiatric ethics, but also questions about nature, the environment, moral injury, civility. Um, did the authors come back to you with these ideas or because obviously some of the earlier chapters you'd think well it's quite obvious that we're going to need a a chapter on Murdoch and Sartre or Heidegger or Hegel but these particular um, these particular later chapters um, they they seem to be very much developed in in conversation with the with the authors Um, did, did you have much kind of steer on those or was it very much up to the individual authors to come back to you with um, some uh, concepts of their own, Sylvia?
2: Uh, A little bit of both. Uh, There were some topics that we definitely wanted to have Uh, Obviously, the one on animals and the environment, because we thought, well, Murdoch is a moral philosopher that we're reading now, and we're also reading her to help us think about the problems we're facing now. And these are some of the greatest problems we're facing now. So we couldn't not have something on uh, the environment, something on animals, uh, also something on feminism and politics, even though that's in a a separate section. Um, Mm. These are also questions that we're really struggling with right now. Uh, Some of the other chapters in the final section Uh, We're a little bit more open-ended and developed even more in conversation with the authors. Um, But it made sense. We had some uh, philosopher like Megan Laverty, who works on civility and works on Murdoch, and it just made so much sense to combine her expertise, Uh, especially because she then came back with a very important take on civility, which I hadn't, for example, considered, which is a way of paying attention to others. Uh, So in that sense, she offered something new that we hadn't thought about. Uh, and something similar happened with moral injury and psychiatric ethics. We wanted a chapter on mental health, uh, and then Anna Berkwitz has been doing all this work on psychiatric ethics, and so she has all this expertise, as well as the Murdochian background. And again, these are questions that are more and more important uh, for us now. Uh, and moral injury doesn't deal with war as much as uh, Joseph Winnick did in his book. But uh, there he's interested in how Murdo can help thinking about the kind of moral consequences of conflict, uh, which is sadly even more relevant right now. So it was very much a conversation, and we're very happy that it was because the author's specific expertise contributed something that we didn't originally fully imagine.
0: Yes, of course, and i i I'm going to admit that I haven't got through all of the all the material at the of the of the final chapters. But obviously, clearly, you know, you you two know them um, inside out, having edited and commented and de- developed them in um, in, in concert wow. with the authors. Mark, which which of the the later moral issues really stuck out for you, and and, and you thought that it was um, that Murdoch was doing something surprising, or maybe ahead of her time?
1: It's yeah, it's so. I mean, it would, it would be really hard to pick out um, just one. I mean, uh, this is you know, if I if I was gonna. Um, pitch another edited volume on Murdoch or if, if anyone wants ideas you could do like just a whole volume of, uh, of chapters like that right and, yeah. and in some ways I think it would be really exciting because if I was you know gonna think of one of the directions in which I would hope sort of Murdoch scholarship goes in a way this um, idea of thinking in a Murdochian way about such and such an issue it seems it seems to me very true to the spirit of what she's trying to do with her philosophy like she wants she wants to write a philosophy that will be helpful to people and and she's um she's always thinking about um the issues that are coming up in her own time her own society so um i would love to see more of that i mean in in those chapters um i so it's so hard to pick. i mean i do um this is not even to say that um uh, this is the one that's most striking to me. But to look at, for example, the the use that Joseph Winnicott and makes of the concept of void, like mm. this is this you know really very distinctively Murdochian concept. I mean, she's not the only philosopher to to make use of it, but it it does have a distinctive place in her work. But it's it's sometimes hard to know where to place it in her work. Like how how do we put her use of the notion of void alongside the notion of the good or luck like it's not always clear how those I think there's a deliberate tension that she creates between um, those concepts. And then what you see in a in a chapter like Joseph's is um, that concept just being incredibly fertile and and useful in, in thinking about. Um, yeah, issues that are very hard to think about you know the moral injury that people sustain having participated or witnessed terrible things um it's one of those um cases where you realize just just how useful murdoch's thought can be and and that's you know it's not what she was thinking about herself like that's that's not why she introduces the concept but uh, but it has this application like well beyond um uh, the way that she was initially using it uh, but you know you you could say the same for any of the other the other chapters in that section
0: of course yeah and um thinking now i just while you were talking I think thinking about uh, not only what you were saying but how that could be expanded and there are just so many options there for um another Edtick collection. although I'm sure you're not quite at the at the stage yet where you want to take on another one <laughs> okay, but the, but thinking and I suppose thinking about the future a little bit um, now that you have spent you know the, the last uh, couple two or three years working on this, has it impacted on what you want to do or how you' are not just your thoughts on Murdoch, but how you might go on and then write about Murdoch um, Sylvia, I know that your um, your monographs just come out. Mark, I know that' you're, you're working on Murdoch's ethics, but has the, the process of uh, of this changed what you might you, you personally might want to write in the future academically?
2: Well, I personally think I'll take a small break from Murdoch for now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair
0: uh, enough. But,
2: I, but not, not in a real sense, because I I've just started a new project um, at the University of Pardewitsa, uh, and I thought this would be a new thing, and uh, it wouldn't be Murdoch's scholarship. And in a sense, it's not. But I hadn't realized until I actually started writing that a lot of what I want to say is still very Murdochian in character right um i've been working about tension now i'm working on moral impossibility and all the things that we don't consider but that mostly comes from murdoch's idea that we can only choose between in, in the world within the world that we can see yeah and that. so you, you can't playing, really you can't really no, escape it yeah no, that's been playing in the back of my mind and it's inspiring so much that i want to do so i, I can't <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, well we'll be i'd be fascinated to see how they how that project turns out and uh luck with it looking forward to seeing seeing what happens mark um how about you the the work on medical ethics which is um ongoing um have you changed your conceptions of what you want to do how you want to write or as it give as this process of doing this uh collection given you new avenues for thought
1: yeah i think there's there's ways in which it it helps and ways in which it makes it harder i mean the, the way in which it makes it harder is when you you do something like this and you draw on all this kind of expertise it you just realize there is so much there but i i will never be able to get my head around and so i i, I guess the the best way of thinking about that is it's a uh, um through the very murdochian concept of humility right she says that the humble man may not be the good man but he's the man who's closest of all to being good or something like that so um, it certainly um, has given me a kind of humility in my approach to Murdoch you know recognition I'm not going to get my head around all of it um but I think it does um I mean it's also confirmed something for me which has always been central to the book I'm trying to write myself which is that um it's really important to read Murdoch on her own terms I think there has been um in the history of murdoch scholarship in in very understandable ways a tendency to read her on other people's terms because um you know the argument needed to be made that she belonged in the philosophical tradition she had something to say and so uh, i think people found it necessary to um, try to find a Murdochian contribution to, you know, an existing debate, which meant framing the issues in terms that she probably wouldn't have framed them herself. Um, and so, um, but I, I think in one of the things that's wonderful in a lot of the chapters in the volume is that people are just taking up Murdoch's questions in Murdoch's terms, and I think that's, um, incredibly fertile and exciting, allowing oneself to be guided by her sense of um, how philosophy should be done, how the issues should be thought about, so it, it's something um, it's something I'm trying to do in my um, in my book to uh, allow um, allow her to to set the terms and see see what you get if you
0: read her in that way. Okay, well, we very much look forward to uh, to that coming to fruition and into uh, reading that in, in due course when it when it's ready. Um, so, as we sort of draw towards the end of the podcast, then um, we want obviously. You know this book is um should we say uh perhaps for libraries only in in its physical copy at the moment but i believe there's um a paperback coming and of course the ebook is fairly reasonable reasonable sylvia uh
2: yes yes we're looking forward to the paperback uh because that's something that we can um carry around uh, yeah. and it's also lighter um but yeah the, the ebook uh is a lot more reasonable it's it's under 30 pounds as I can remember, maybe I'm wrong, uh, and 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 that's also portable, so I, I definitely recommend it. Uh, I haven't actually seen the hardback myself, so I'm excited about it. That Mark can can tell us what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, I can see.
0: Yeah, I can see Mark waving a copy uh, <laughs> at us. Yeah, so we're looking forward to seeing that, and obviously, delight. Uh, really looking forward to be launching it at um, at the conference in uh, in a couple. Of, well in a week and a half's time when you're both over in the UK so um, really looking forward to to celebrating that moment with you. Um, Mark on the on the e-copy as well it's um, I think Routledge have done a very nice job with it it's obviously fully searchable but also there are various function functionality the functionality Mm -hmm. of using the e-book is probably best for scholarship would you say?
1: I would, yeah. I think you know, I'm one of those people. I know many people are like this. I love having a physical book to hold in my in my hands. But um, yeah, having you know, being fortunate enough to to have both of them, the hardback and the ebook, I really um I have found the ebook very handy to to work with. It's but you know, this is the kind of volume, we are not really expecting someone to just sit down, and <laughs> read from page one through page 527. This is going to be a volume that you, um, that you go back to, you pick up on different things, um, you, you search through it, you hop from one chapter to the other. And so I think it actually, um, it works relatively well as a, um, as an ebook. And that's, you know, that's how we, we hope people will use it. I think mean, that it'll be there as a kind of, as a reference. Honestly, I have I have been using it myself in that way since my copy arrived um, about a week ago. There's a, at least a couple of occasions I found myself <laughs> remembering, oh yeah, we got a chapter on that in the in the book. I can go look at it now. And it, yeah. um, so I, uh, you you would think that I would um, already have gotten all that from it, but I've actually it, it has um, genuinely been quite helpful to me a couple of times in the last week or so. So yeah, we really. Um, we just hope it's helpful to people. If it, you know, if it helps people to um, to engage with Murdoch and uh, find new things in Murdoch and understand her, then that is just um, that that will be a wonderful thing. It'll make it all worthwhile.
0: Yeah, and and I think it I think it absolutely will. I know that you know people have been buying it in e copy, and uh, and others are waiting for going to wait obviously wait for the paperback. But um, yeah, I think I think you know looking at having um, read sections of the ebook. Um, I think it's not just going to be a book that is used for reference, I think it will also be, a, I think it's also a major statement in the field as well, I think it's a landmark collection really that's going to inaugurate, um, not, not just confirm where we are at the, at the point in, uh, at this particular point in time in 2022 and thinking about Murdoch, really sort of 10 years since the, the real upswing in interest, particularly in the philosophy, as we've been talking about, But also I think it marks a new chapter in in Murdoch studies. So I think you can both be very, very proud of the the work that you've done, and of course the, the contributors. But all, but primarily for for the both of you to to bring all this to fruition, it's a it's a wonderful, a wonderful work and a real work of a scholarship and a gift to to the Murdoch community. So uh, so thank yeah. you very much for, to both of you for doing so. From everybody, I'm sure everybody that's listening would uh, who um, who is interested and engaged with this um, in the in philosophy, but also in wider murdoch studies would uh, would agree with me on that so thank you it's been a pleasure it's been a real pleasure to speak to you today as well about it and like i said we look forward to um to seeing you both um in a few days to uh, to celebrate the launch um the launch of the physical copy so mark and yeah, there and, and thank
1: I mean this is a good um, good opportunity for us to say some some thank yous as well. We, I mean, thank you to you, Miles, or to, you know, for having us on the podcast, but also oh, a um, you know, inviting us to do the the launch at the at the conference, which we're so excited about, and just a lot of um, a lot of useful um, you know advice and assistance along the way, and for writing a wonderful chapter. So we're we're very grateful to you, but also you know all of the the authors. I mean, we we say this in the um, in the introduction to the book, we were asking people to write these chapters and hit their deadlines in the midst of a pandemic. When we, you know, we have some vague sense of what people were going through, but I think we we know that we don't know the half of it. And so, the fact that uh, people managed to um, produce such wonderful pieces of work, we're really um, we're just so so hugely grateful to um, to them and to. Um, and to the folks at, um, at Routledge as well, Tony Bruce and, and Adam Johnson, um, and also uh, Nora and pointed them um, in our direction. So we should we should also give a shout out to, to Nora.
0: Yeah, not just for that, but also for the wonderful chapter that she's written. Sylvia, any any, any thoughts from from you?
2: Well, no, I mean, uh, thank you, Mark, for expressing our gratitude so well. Uh, we are indeed very grateful to the author and to you, Miles, and the publisher and everybody who's helped. Uh, and contributed to the book it has not been easy and meeting deadlines which we acknowledge were quite tight some of the time uh but everybody did such a wonderful so um uh, we're we're ecstatic and we can't wait to talk about the book further at the conference
0: yeah well i'm thoroughly looking forward to it so um thank you very much to uh, to mark Cobwood, to and to uh, Silver. Uh, Caprioglio Panizza, um, and also thank you to everybody for listening, and uh, go out and get the e-copy, there's a link in the description for the podcast.